wherever you are, however you are listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. This Sunday's edition is for January 29th. The message is called The Message. And it took me a while to figure out which passage to preach on because as you'll hear, uh, the first reading, Micah 6.8, actually Micah 6.1-8, is a great passage. And Annie Nortz, who is our elector, will explain to you, um, you know, the frequency uh, that the, the passage is used in our church. Often it's used as a charge, and, and she'll say something a little extra. But I didn't preach on that. I, I refer to it, I mention it, but I didn't preach on it. Um, I was finally led to uh, preach on Corinthians. And the fact that this was to be our annual meeting, our annual congregational meeting after work, after worship, and it did turn out to be, there was a question mark for a little while. That also shaped why I chose to preach on this, the message uh, from 1 Corinthians. The sermon's a little bit different than some of mine. It's a little more teachy. Um... So I hope you can hang with me, hang with it, and I hope you'll find it uh, draw to a meaningful close as uh, I found it a meaningful close. And so uh, let's open with, uh, before going any further, a, a brief prayer, and then on to Annie and the scriptures. Holy One, Eternal One, we thank you for this opportunity to set aside a little time and listen to the scriptures and hear the message. We ask your blessing upon what we're going to hear and on our thinking about it later and perhaps as we seek to apply it to our perspective on life as people of the book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And here's Annie. Our Old Testament lesson is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. We often hear verse 8 as a charge, and our confirmation class is required to memorize it. But the whole passage is riveting. The first part is God speaking to Israel, then the people are represented as asking what God wants them to offer. The final verse answers that question. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I set, sent, you before, sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now that King Balak of Mo, what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal. 
with what shall it be, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This ends reading from the prophet Micah. Our epistle reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. As he addressed the division in the church we heard about last Sunday, he returns to the foundation of the gospel of Christ. Paul wrote, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. The Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This ends reading from 1 Corinthians. Will those who are able, please rise for the reading of the Gospel lesson. As I indicated, this is the start of the Sermon on the Mount, featuring the Beatitudes. I will read chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up, to, up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here ends a reading of the Gospel lesson and our scriptures for today's service. May God guide our thinking about these passages as we ponder them during the rest of church and later this week. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word. You and I live with so many messages today, and they can be very different. It can be good news of test results or some other information sent to you via text message. It can also be devastating news, as it was many years ago when Russell Brand used a text message telling Katy Perry he was divorcing her. Our life can be changed by a voicemail message. Email messages can carry significant information, support, suggestions, etc. And then there are the times when you realize that how you did something or what you did was not going to be accepted a second time. And the next time you see your parent, friend, spouse, or teacher, you say, I got the message. That's not going to happen again. The message. When you hear the two words together, the message, you might remember that there's a version of the Bible by Eugene Peterson called the message. Messages are communication, however they're transmitted. And this morning, you and I get to ponder as people of the book, the message. Is the message our message? Should it shape how we are and what we do at any point in time or during our annual meeting? How will it guide the way St. Peter's lives and moves and has our being? Thank you, St. Paul. Heading into our post-pandemic future and the present. Well, Jesus gave us a message in the Beatitudes, surely a guide for how all of us in the realm of God are to be by the grace of God and our cooperation. Micah relates the conversation between Yahweh and the Lord when the people feel God does not listen to them. And God replies, The Lord has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to... That's a message, all right. Requirements from the Holy One. What we have from the Apostle Paul, though, might fit our current context as we think about the message for Christians. Paul was writing to this major Greek city where people from all over the known world lived. There were Jewish people and especially Gentile Greeks, among other travelers and students, business persons. His message was roundly and soundly rejected by both the Jews and the Greeks. We heard Annie read because Quoting, Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. 
for many, for many different reasons, many in our day are not interested in or have perhaps been hurt by the wrongful approaches to the good news. We know about the rising tide in our country of folks who say they do not believe. Those who say, well, they're just not affiliated with any religion, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And those who grew up in church but considered themselves more or less finished after a confirmation or youth group or maybe even their church wedding. We're not in Corinth like the congregation Paul wrote to, but we do live amongst folks who ignore or deny or resist our message, provided it is our message. And what is the message? Well, let's claim what Paul did, since he provides one of our scriptures today. Verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 22, he said, but we proclaim Christ crucified. Also referring to Jesus crucified, I think, Paul wrote, for God's foolishness, the cross, is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness, again the cross, is stronger than human strength. Our text ends chapter 1. Chapter 2 begins with, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you with lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The message, the message, is the cross. Commentator C.K. Barrett wrote, the message of the cross denotes the theme of the message. The gospel is simply a placarding, you know, like the people with the sandwich signs, these big signs, well, placard, those are placards. The gospel, he said, is simply a placard, a big sign, of Christ crucified. A message that still is found foolish by many. Barrett, exploring the wisdom of the Greeks here, so understanding a little bit more about where they were coming from, he observed something that still is very much alive in our world today. Quote, it is evident <clears throat> that the wisdom spoken of here is a wisdom of this world, a world that leaves God out of the picture and is, as he put it, man-centered, and hence is closely related to works, this is the, post, is the supposed wisdom of those who reject the gospel as folly. And then Barrett spent some time on the built-in beliefs of the Greeks that they and their intellectual philosophical minds can raise themselves up to divine knowledge. And then the Jews needing a miracle or signs well, that was the equivalent of God, excuse me, the equivalent of dictating to God under what terms God would be believed or perceived. Barrett called both thoughts forms of <clears throat> religious egocentricity. Like, we can do this through wisdom. Though Paul told the church that it pleased God not to reveal God's self to people through wisdom, but through faith in the cross. 
So these approaches, whether seeking signs or going through the wisdom track, these epitomize, Barrett said, a persistent pride which demands that God's revelation conform to human standards. We are the arbiters of revelation. So Barrett goes on. Religious egocentricity will inevitably find Christ crucified, the theme of Christian preaching, a scandal, something that trips people up, for in the cross, God does precisely the opposite of what he is expected to do. The intellectual egocentrism of wisdom-seeking Gentiles, he said, finds the same theme folly because incarnation, crystallized in crucifixion, means not that man has speculated his way up to God, but that God has come down to us where we are. To the followers, however, Christ is not folly, but God's power and God's wisdom. Not merely the plan, but the stuff of salvation. Are you still with me? It's not every Sunday you hear me throw around terms like religious egocentricity. But C.K. wrapped it up nicely, though, when he finished what God has done in Christ crucified, the message, is a direct contradiction of human ideas of wisdom and power, yet it achieved what, hu what human wisdom and power fail to achieve. It does convey the truth about God and humanity, and it does deliver us from our bondage. The cross is a message of grace that only God can do for us what we cannot do or think our way out of or define how God must talk with us by ourselves. I appreciated a slightly different take on this stuff from the great Scott William Barclay who wrote, Paul cites the undeniable fact that for all its wisdom, the world had never found God and was still blindly and graspingly seeking after him. That very search was designed by God to show people their own helplessness and so to prepare the way for the acceptance of him. Who is the one true way? I need help. Oh, here's the helper. The message. The message of the cross is not just open to people, it's not just to open people to an understanding that we need God to show us the way to God, a call to humility. But it's also a message of how much we mean to God. And as Paul indicates, how much this includes those who are not well esteemed by most of the world. We know that a good deal of the early Christians were either poor or were slaves. In Roman law, a slave was called a living tool. A tool. Not really seen as a human being, nor earning treatment as a human being under the law. Slaves and the poor were surely looked down upon by the brainy philosophers and merchants. So many outside the church regarded the church as a polyglot of undesirables and worse. Check out the complaint of Celsus, circa 178 AD. And he talked about how horrible Christians were. So what I'm leading up to is that the message of the cross, though it is for the world, 
did find a home in many humble hearts of slaves and the working poor. Remember when Annie read, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are. Our friend Barclay took this part of the message of the cross and reminds us then as now. Christianity made people who were things into real men and women, more into sons and daughters of God. It gave those who had no respect their self-respect. It gave those who had no life, life eternal. It told people that even if they did not matter to others, they did matter intensely to God. It told people who, in the eyes of the world, were worthless, that in the eyes of God they were worth the death of God's only Son. So Christianity was, he said, and still is, the most uplifting thing in the universe. This, too, is the message, the message of the cross. The message. In Jesus, God did not speak to we humans like the philosophers and some of the chosen people may expect. This leans too much on our own love of our understanding. No, the message tells us that we are in need of God, and God's grace comes to us for free. In the cross, that happens and God does for us what we could not do for ourselves on many levels. The message. The lowly are lifted up and lives are given meaning. How can this be our message too? What are graceful and effective ways to proclaim this in word and in deed? By doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Lastly, the message itself is what changed and it changes us. William Baird reminds us that for Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church, before he became Paul the Apostle, quote, to accept the crucified one as the Messiah for Paul demanded a radical reinterpretation of God's way of working. That God achieved God's purposes not through might, but through weakness. That the Messiah was not powerful king, but suffering servant. Christ is the key, he said, unlocking the depths of divine wisdom. To know nothing but Christ is to know everything significant. And then this. The ultimate power behind the universe is God's suffering love. The message, the ultimate power behind the universe is God's suffering love. It reaches out to the marginalized, the people society treats poorly or wishes would go away or just uses as long as they're useful. It reaches out to those who were damaged by the church, but not by Jesus. It reaches out to those who understand there are mysteries that cannot be explained by materialist or humanist rationalizations, but aren't quite sure what's that mystery. 
It extends its arms, the message does, to those who hate themselves. It reaches out to the bigot and supremacist who know that they must turn over their fears and their masks of false bravado and trust the love of God in Christ and thereby be changed into people who love. It extends to the immigrants here and anywhere illegally. It reaches out to the lonely, the addicted, the socially awkward and differently abled and stressed out and those at the end of their ropes, the message. It yearns to embrace those who want to feel again who want human connection through a loving, accepting community again. The message of the cross wants to speak solidarity to those who cannot believe in a God who knows nothing of human suffering. For the cross is God's solidarity with our suffering. It is good news to those longing for the doing of justice the flowing of the covenant mercy and kindness, and to those working on walking humbly with God. God wants all that too. That is why we are here, to bear witness to the message, how it has saved us, saves us, and how the suffering love of God is good for all the world, believe it or not. Let this shape our spirit and how we face these new days. The ultimate power in the universe is the suffering love of God. The message. Amen. Amen. The, um, we did have our annual meeting after all, as I said, though I didn't realize that was going to happen for sure until after the worship service. Uh, it had to do with the quorum. And uh, so I may have kind of hedged a couple references to the meeting um, as if, you know, well, maybe we're going to have it or maybe it'll be next Sunday. And that might have been in the message that you heard in the sermon as I preached it. Um, next Sunday is going to be Installation Sunday, so the message might be a little bit different. <laughs> um, oh, I hope every message is a little bit different, but always grounded in the good news and trying to apply that to the way we live our lives as individuals, as groups, as a church, and even as a country and a world. I hope you got something out of today's, today's message. Um, I did, working on it, putting it together, which wasn't easy, as I said, and then preaching it. I'm grateful for everyone who listens, for Laura Olson, who puts this together and takes these various parts of of uh, my offering and makes them a, a suitable podcast for you good listeners to listen well to. May God bless you and may God bless your week. Bye. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes 
wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.